All right. Well, we've got a got a big group in Kansas City this week. Talked to Tammy just a bit ago, and they're all fired up. Uh, Going to bring home a bunch of fanatics, I'm sure, which won't hurt us. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's open our Bibles to the Book of Ezekiel, uh, and I want to start with a story here, and uh, it's a story that that uh, is illustrates a really, really good point, but it's a bit sad, okay? Story about a friend of mine. I uh, went, to, went to junior high with a guy named John, and John was a, uh, uh, was, you know, we hung out, did everything together, then he went to separate high schools, so we really kind of, our friendship kind of stayed, but we never really saw each other, and you, we've all had friends like that. And uh, I was, uh, I got saved in my, it must have been like my second year of college, something like that. And so, you know, I really became pretty fiery for God. And, you know, if you kind of remember that day when you get saved and, you know, man, your whole world changes and you're fired up and you're breathing fire and you're praying and you're believing God and, and you really are seeing God do some crazy good stuff in your life. And so uh, I got a call from my mom, I think the next year, and she said, uh, uh, have you heard about John? And I said, no, what's, what's the deal on John? And she says, well, John has cancer. And I said, really? And I, she said, yeah, when you come home at Thanksgiving, you should go see John. And I said, yeah, I should do that. And so Thanksgiving is a pretty short trip when you go to school in Missouri and you have to drive to Colorado. And by the time you get there, you, it takes a day, basically. You wiped out a day to get there and you've got a day you know you've got to get back. And, you know, somehow, have you ever had those moments where things just kind of got away from you and you just... You had good intentions, and you did nothing with them, right? Um, so anyway, I, it got down to like Saturday night, and my mom said, you know, did you get to go see John? And I said, no, I didn't. You know what? I'll see him at Christmas time. And, you know, because that's not that far away. You know, you're thinking six weeks, right? But John passed before Christmas, and I never got to see John again. And I, the thing that that for me was really hard was that, I didn't know if John was a Christian or not. And, and, I, and I, I kind of tossed between, if you've been in those moments, I kind of tossed between, um, you know, kind of guilt and grace. You know, like, I feel really guilty here, and I feel really grace-oriented. I mean, God just kind of pushed me back and forth between guilt and grace. And it was at that time that God really put a scripture on my heart, and it was from Ezekiel. It's not this one. It's, it's another one. I'll, I'll quote it to you. It's Ezekiel 33. But... Um, it says, uh, you son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel to warn the wicked to turn from his way. And if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not, then his blood is not on your hand. But if you fail to warn the wicked, then his blood is on your hand. And it was one of those scriptures where it really sounds pretty convicting and it is and was. But it's also one of those scriptures where God did, I didn't feel like this enormous guilt from God. I felt this enormous responsibility to God. And I think when you read scripture, what you have to do is you have to read it in such a way as you look at it and say, you know, what is, what is really happening here? What is God really trying to do? Because God is most concerned, not that we feel bad, but that we learn and we move forward from that experience. Uh, it wasn't too long after that, um, I, was, uh, I heard a, a guy preach on this passage from Ezekiel, 
And it really led me to, uh, to really start developing this, this concept of, of in the gap. And how do, we, how do we stay in the gap for people? How do we stay in the gap for a nation? You know, it was neat to hear that at the House of Prayer today, you know, they, they stopped and they prayed for the election in Israel. And, you know, fortunately, Netanyahu was reelected, um, or his party was reelected. Amen. And, and I know there were enormous efforts um, politically and satanically to stop that. And it was, uh, I think it's a victory for um, not, only, not only for the goodness of, of God's you know, people there, but, a, but also a victory for every one of us who were concerned and prayed along the way. So anyway, let me just take you to Ezekiel uh, 22, and by the way, we're, um, we're in chapter 3, and this is the verse that actually he sets up this chapter with. So it says, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Let's stop and pray. Father, I just want to pray right now that your scripture, Father, will be met with your spirit in a powerful way right now. God, that we will take the word of God and we will take what you're saying to us, Father, and we will really apply it to our life and understand, Father, that you gave enormous responsibility in this word that you gave to Ezekiel. Such a responsibility, Father, that, that he actually just looked for one person, just one, who would stand in a gap, and he said, I found no one. And so, Father, I pray that right now your spirit might touch each one of us in a way that we would stand in the gap that we would be people who would pray and intercede and be a part of this kingdom project that you've given us to really uh, oversee and to manage and to, uh, and to initiate uh, a powerful move of God in our lives and in our world. And God, just open the scripture up to us in Jesus' name as well as this talk tonight. Amen. He goes on to say in the next verse, Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them, and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. Now, think about the responsibility here. He says, Ezekiel, I was looking for someone. I didn't find anybody. I just needed one person, one person stand in the gap. I think it was a few weeks ago I, I mentioned ISIS, and I said, you know, isn't it interesting that we, you know, we complain about ISIS, we whine about ISIS, we, you know, th- you know throw um, accusations at administrations around the world who do nothing, and yet we really do have the power of prayer. Amen. We have that power of prayer. And I, and I just want to really challenge you and encourage you, because what if you're the one? What if you're the only one? Because, you know, when you read it, you kind of assume, oh, there's somebody else. Somebody prays better than me, longer than me, better than me. You know, why me, God? Because when you hear his voice. Uh, last night at Men's Bible Study, I did something. I want to I just kind of uh, introduce this to you as we, as we enter into this. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, just write that verse down. You'll know the verse. You know, it follows that great verse where God works all things together for the good right? You just don't see how, right? That's the, that's the paraphrase, right? God works all things to good. I'm just not sure how he does that, right? For the good to them that what? Love God. Have you ever noticed how even secular people quote that verse? But they don't quote the whole thing. They say, well, you know, uh, all things work out for the good. And they, they don't know even where they got it. 
they got these little phrases and these little idioms out of the Bible, and they go, We're, oh, yeah, everything works out to the good, you know? And uh, then you go, yeah, to them that love God. And then they're called according to his purpose. It works out to the good. Okay, but in Romans 8.34, it says this. It says that Jesus Christ is the intercessor. He is our intercessor. Now, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that a little bit, but he's the one standing in the gap. He's in the gap. He's in the gap right now for you. Now, wouldn't it be nice to know what he's praying for you? Because if you knew what he was praying for you, then you could take that to the Father, and then you really could say this, I come in the authority of Jesus Christ and the will of God, Father, and I ask this prayer to be answered. So what I want us to do right now, I want us to, to do just a, a little exercise of prayer. Just a little one. And it's not, you don't need to be in groups. You can be right one-on-one. Um, but I want, you just to, I want you just to bow your head, and I want you just to ask Jesus that question. Okay? And we're going we're gonna to kind of set it up this way. I want to kind of give you a little pattern. We're going to start with uh, just right where you sit on your own. You can say it out loud. I think it's better out loud. Don't worry about nobody's listening. Nobody's trying to figure it out. Okay? But um, just begin with a little thanksgiving, something like this. Jesus, I just want to thank you because of who you are. You're my great God. You're my Lord. You're my sovereign. I praise you for dying on the cross, rising from the dead. However you want to put those things in to give him thanks. And then transition to this. Jesus, you are my intercessor. How are you praying for me right now? What are you praying for me right now? Because I'd like you to give me some insight into that. I'd like to know how you pray. You know, when we take the time to do it that way and instead of the other way, typically the other way, what we do, we go what's most on our head, right? What's the crisis? What's the problem? What's the need? What's the desire? Whatever it is, we just immediately go there. But if we back up and say, Jesus, how are you praying for me? And then just, we're just going to pause for a minute. We're just going to listen. Just listen. And I think for some of you, hopefully all of you, you'll hear God just say something to you. You know, he might just say, you know, I really am just, I'm just thankful for you right now. Or I'm really praying that you're going to, to really understand wisdom in this situation. He might give you more, okay? Might give you nothing, okay? If you don't hear anything right now, do not be discouraged, okay? What we're doing is we're trying to learn how to hear the voice of God. I used this illustration last night. Sorry, guys, if you were here. But I, uh, on, I think it was Saturday maybe. I went out in my backyard and I uh, I just sat in my uh, in a chair, just put on the shades and I sat out there for half an hour. Yes, I'm just going to sit bask in a little bit of sun right now, right? And as I sat there, I heard something I have never heard in my backyard. I heard four or five different birds. I didn't think I had any birds except the crows who come across once in a while, right? One time I had a duck in my backyard, but I mean, I don't really hear birds in my backyard. So I sit there, and I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, I hear a chirp over to my right, and I'm thinking, what is that? Is that a bird? Because I had made a comment maybe a week earlier to Tammy. I said, you know, why don't I want to have birds in our backyard? I need birds, you know? And, and then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I hear another bird over to my right, a different bird, different kind of bird, different chirp. 
And then another bird and another bird and another bird. And I thought, why is it I heard birds right now? Because I was still enough to listen. Once I heard one, my ear increased in sensitivity and I could hear another one. And then my mind was going to, I wonder how many birds are out here. I got too many birds in my backyard now. <laughs> right? Now, so here's the, here's, here's the thing. Did you ever think that God is speaking like that? And sometimes we just haven't either got still long enough or we haven't trained our ear to hear his voice enough. You know, so sometimes we have to, we have to quit talking long enough to hear God. Amen? All right. So let's just take that exercise. So first, here's how it's going to work. You're, going to, you're just going to kind of thank God for, you know, who he is and what he's done, just thanksgiving. And then you're going to just say, Jesus, as my intercessor, how are you praying for me? And then just, we'll just be still and listen, okay? I promise not to keep you in still mode for an hour, okay? Just, just for a bit, okay? And, and some of you are going to say, you know, I, I think this is what I heard from him. You might want to just write it down, Okay? If you don't hear, remember, go back tonight, maybe try it again, and just listen to God. Okay, let's just, uh, let's just start with this. I'm just going to, let's just all pray out loud. I'm going to pray out loud this and just kind of lead you through this, and then you can pray your own prayers out loud right where you are. Uh, Jesus, I just want to thank you tonight. I, I want to praise you because you love us. You love us in spite of who we are and, and uh, the frailty of our being, and you are the great and mighty God, and uh, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross and rise again. And uh, thank you for this wonderful salvation that we enjoy in this community we have in fellowship with one another. And now, Jesus, you're my intercessor. And you're praying for me right now. And I wonder what you're praying. I really would like to know. Jesus, how are you praying for me right now? Now, let me just ask you, did any of you feel like, you don't have to share it, okay? Any of you feel like you heard from Jesus in that moment? Just kind of slip your hand up. Okay, a few of you. Great. Okay. Okay, great. Um, so, I just want to encourage you to just try that model a little bit, okay? Um, and, and it might be one of those things where you say, as we're talking about this awesome tool of prayer that God gave us, this responsibility, It'd be nice to be able to know what he's wanting us to really focus on. Amen? All right. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump into this. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I really found chapter 3 as just a, an, a marvelous chapter. Anybody agree with that? I mean, it was, um, you know, I've read it before, and it, it's, every time I read it, it just it seems to get better and better. 
I thought the question he begins with, why should there be a system of prayer at all? Why should, why should God even have prayer? And then he made this statement that if God is self-sufficient, why has he become dependent on intercessors? That's pretty radical, isn't it? It almost sounds like heresy when you say God is dependent on something. Because we think about the all-sufficiency of God, the all-power of God, the all-might of God, you know, all those things. But to say that God has chosen to be dependent on us as intercessors is a pretty radical statement. And I think what it does is it forces us into at least thinking maybe differently than we've thought before. So as we kind of start working our way through this, and I'm just going to, I'll give you page references, and that way if, you, if I say something that kind of catches your eye, you can go to it. But uh, in 44 and 45, he points to the mystery of the design. You know, I've kind of, uh, I've, I don't know about you, I've kind of flipped all over the map in my Christian life, like, you know, how does prayer really work, and what is it, what's it really for, and, and you know, at my lowest point, I thought, well, prayer just kind of, you know, God is just going to do what God's going to do, so he likes me to pray, so I kind of, you know, kind of stay close to him, but God's still going to do what God's going to do, and, and I don't even know why I pray, because, you know, his, his will is so sovereign and so powerful, you know, that I don't have any choices, and, and I don't like to be over there. I don't like to be over there at all, and I don't believe that's biblical. And then when we push ourselves to this other side of the fence, and we say, wait a minute, what if prayer really does do what God says it does? It moves people. It changes world events. It has an effect. And that God has stepped back, in a sense, not, not in his involvement, he stepped back and said, I'm going to put you into on-the-job training, and I'm going to give you the authority to create a world, the kind of world that you'd like to live in, so that you never have an excuse for pointing your finger at me and complaining how the world is run, but you also have this on-the-job training in this laboratory called Earth that prepares you for an eternal weight of glory. I don't know what eternity looks like, but I've got a really good suspicion it's not floating around with a bunch of harps singing songs. Amen? I've got a feeling that he didn't give us parables and teachings about uh, faithfulness in our service, being good stewards, and having greater responsibility. Remember, every parable is, is a heavenly story set in an earthly language. So when he talks about, you know, the faithful steward and the guy that goes out and he risks five in the ground and he gets ten back and he says to him, you're going to have greater responsibility now. And he even get, takes the one from the, from the guy that only buried it and he gives it to the guy with ten. You see that God rewards that that, that stewardship and that risk and that responsibility he has. So God, what he does in prayer, God says, would you be willing to push out from the shore into the really deep part of prayer and faith? Because I like it when you're there. You like to be on the shore, but I like it when you're out there. So God is seeking, in the, and we love the scripture here, God is seeking to avoid judgment in the case of the scripture with, in Ezekiel 22, right? What if God is seeking to avoid judgment on, in earth right now, on in America, in California. What if he's doing that and he's saying to you tonight, it's all about you. It's all about you. 
Now you can't complain about politicians anymore. Oh, you can, and we will, and we should, right? But what the reality is, what, think about the power of this, this, this prayer when we really begin to mobilize. There's some amazing stories that are told. Uh, if, if you want to really read a great book on prayer, this is one I want to recommend to you. It's by Norman Grubb. Norman Grubb, that's G-R-U-B-B, Norman Grubb, and, and the, um, the book is called uh, Reese, it's a biography, Reese, R-E-E-S-E, Howells, H-O-W-E-L-L-S, Reese Howells, that's the man's name, and then Intercessor, Reese Howells, Intercessor. He was the founder of the Bible College of Wales. Some of you know that Reinhard Bonnke went to the Bible College of Wales. Uh, the, the person that mentored me and, and prayed for me uh, was a graduate of the Bible College of Wales, a uh, woman from Wales named Lucy Esch, and she prayed for me and four of her other pastors two hours every day till the day she died. And she learned prayer. Uh, her mother was a part of the Great Welsh Revival in 1904, 1906. Mother was completely blind, worked for the Salvation Army, and had memorized the entire scripture by having someone read it to her. Kind of makes you feel wimpy about trying to get one verse into your belt, right? Okay, but, but here's the thing. You, you read his story, you read some of the stuff, and he has it in that book, the accounts of how he could track, literally, prayers that they prayed during World War II to victories in World War II, down to the minute, down to the minute. And, and when you stop and think about, about the power of prayer, we underestimate this so much, you know? Um, and I think, we are, I think what we have to do is we have to take this responsibility that he gives us here um, really serious. Go, this thought, he is bound to not act apart from man who is an intercessor. So God binds himself by a contract. This is how I'm going to get the job done. I'm going to not do something because I'm going to bind myself to you as an intercessor to pray and make a difference. That kind of contract is, is pretty crazy. So he is dependent upon the prayers of man to defend the nation that he was talking about in Ezekiel's day. I'm not going to defend the nation because they're a Christian nation. I'm going to defend the nation because somebody, some Christians are praying for that nation. See, the heritage of America and the blessings of God on America are not because we as a nation declared ourselves Christian, but because Christians who had power with God made a difference. That they were intercessors, they were people of faith and power. Because collectively, you could probably take the majority of Christians in America and they probably don't pray more than an hour a week. And they certainly don't pray on this level. But somebody's kneeling and praying, somebody's moving mountains, somebody's changing the very environment we live in or sustaining it or preventing evil in the midst of it. It may be one of you, it may be somebody we will never know and never, never gets the notoriety of, of having a book published or being on a stage or having their own app. But they're there kneeling 
Kneeling. D.L. Moody said the great moves of God can all be traced back to one kneeling individual. Now think about that. What if it's you? What if God's calling you to that act? Let me not take questions now, Jack, because this is all recorded, okay? All right, so let's go on here. He is, um, he is the ultimate judge, jury, and authority, or is he? God, it says, this is what, what he says in the book. God is the ultimate judge, right? He is the ultimate jury. He is the ultimate authority, or is he? Why doesn't he arbitrarily go over our heads and carry out to do his will, he tells us on page 45. Why didn't he just do that? I mean, he knows better than we do, doesn't he? Yeah, but that's not the goal. God's goal, if he wanted to make a utopian, a perfect society where we all love Jesus and we all did what was right, he could do that pretty easy, couldn't he? That's not the goal. The goal is to train up men and women to be intercessors and warriors in the kingdom so that we learn here what we're going to need there. You know why it tells us, here's what I believe, you know why he tells us to, 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 to be generous in our kingdom giving and not try to store up as much as we have here, but to lay up treasures in heaven? You know why? I think we need them there. There must be some purpose for that, or why would we do that? I mean, think about it like this. You have, if you save money, and, and hopefully everybody here saves a little bit, all right? If you save money, isn't it for a purpose? You know, it might be a kid's education. It might be to buy a car, buy a house. It might be just a little bit of, you know, a little nest egg when you retire. Whatever it might be, you do it for a purpose. When he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, do you think it's without purpose? It must have some value. There must be some, that, that currency that we get in treasures in heaven must do something. And prayer is, is really where all the action is, is it not? It's in prayer and seeking out the Lord and seeing what God does. And so uh, I love this uh, on page 45, this, this just headline. It just jumps out at me. God begs us to pray. God begs us to pray. He, he, he not only commands us to pray, but he begs us to pray. You know, there in John 7, 7, he says, ask, seek, knock. Up until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that your joy might be made full. Why aren't you asking? He said to his disciples in John's gospel, he says, why have you guys not asked anything in my name? Now, have you ever had this, you know, I don't really need to ask God for all that, that little stuff. You know, I just ask him for the big stuff, right? So what does that tell us? God and I share the Godhead. God takes care of the big stuff. He's God of the big stuff, and I'm God of the little stuff. I mean, saying that sounds weird, doesn't it? But is it, am I, am I correct? Do you think I might be on track here a little bit? Now, that doesn't mean, you know, that I, you know, when I get up in the morning, I have to say, God, what pair of pants do I wear? That's easy. Which ones fit? <laughs> Amen? But what I'm trying to say is God wants us to be, we're in training. Prayer is like boot camp. Training. Um, one of my favorite authors um, is a guy named Thomas Akempis, and he, he wrote something called The Imitation of Christ. And he was a, actually a Catholic uh, monk. He was originally from Germany, went to, to the Netherlands, and I think he died in like, uh, I don't know, 1380, something like that. So that's how far back it goes. 
was works wasn't published until after his death and they discovered it but but when I read and I read about the boldness and the devotion in prayer I think this guy got it I was just reading him today just this guy got it you know this guy got it would would somebody save your life you got it you figured this prayer thing out powerfully figured it out I was talking to uh, Alex Hanna you don't remember Alex he's the the guy from Egypt who speaks to all the Muslims around the world and um, we prayed with him on Sunday and then he swung by my house today and we talked and, um, but Alex, um, uh, Alex told me, he said, uh, you should come to Egypt. He's going to Egypt for a month. He leaves Wednesday for a month in Egypt and he does this campaign and this crusade and these conferences and all these kind of things. You should come. And I said, you know, I, I don't, I think I would stick out in Egypt. I'd be like a pyramid. I'd be like a big white pyramid walking around, you know? And, oh, no, it is very safe. And I said, well, do you have any security concerns? Oh, no, no, no. Well, well you know, when, uh, last year, you know, they threatened to bo- blow up everything and, and uh, destroy er- our whole convention, you know. But, but I said, well, what did you do? They go, oh, we just stopped and prayed. We stopped and prayed. And, and I said, what happened? He said, well, we stopped and prayed, and we just asked God to, to protect us. And he said, before long, a couple of the Muslims, uh, the Egyptian Muslims, came in, and, and uh, they said, we're leaving now. We're not going to blow you up anymore. And Alex said, well, why? Or Alex or whoever was relaying the story said, well, why, why aren't you going to blow us up anymore? Well, because we saw uh, your army around here with, with shiny shields in it, and we, and we wanted to leave. And some of them came in and got saved, and... And I sit there, you know, that's the best defense system you got. Amen. You know, you know, I'm going to Egypt. I'm taking a couple of armed guards. They're worthless. They are worthless if you don't go in the power of prayer and the authority of God. I did tell him if I'm going, I'm getting brown contacts and I'm dyeing my hair. I'm, I don't care. <laughs> this white boy is going to stand out over there too much, right? I might look. Kind of good. I don't know. I might kind of look good Egyptian anyway, right? Get a good tan. Okay, so let's go on. Let me just move through this here. And by the way, we're going to do some Q&A here toward the end uh, of this night because I think we need to dialogue a little bit on this one. And, yet, and so if you've got a question, would you just jot it down and, and remind me? And that way we can kind of segment this stuff out. Okay, so God begs us to pray. Why should he, sta- why should he um, stand helplessly by while urging man to pray? Why does he send labors forth in answer to the prayer of the redeemed? So Jesus, over there in in, uh, Matthew's gospel, he says, uh, When you pray, pray therefore like this. uh, I beseech you, Lord of the harvest, to send workers into your harvest. He simply says, why don't you just pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends workers into the harvest? It's interesting in that scripture, he doesn't even tell us to go witness. He doesn't, does he? He says, pray that God moves people to go bring in the harvest. In other words, it's already, the seed's already been planted. The fruit's already coming up. Now all you've got to do is go pull the corn off the stalk. And then on another occasion, Jesus said, the fields are already what? White unto harvest. You know what that is? When grain gets too far gone, it turns white. It's rotten or almost rotten. He says, do you realize all around you there are people who want to be saved, but you're going to let them rot? That's what that scripture is saying. Oh, well, I don't think they want to hear. They want to hear. You may not have talked to enough people, but they want to hear. So excited we just had the, uh, 
uh, the door hangers. We're doing uh, door hangers. We found them to be really, really effective in, in, in just touching people's lives and, and moving people to, to come to church, actually. So we're going to do, starting uh, the, the Wednesday before Easter, we're going to deliver 55,000 of them. That's how many houses are in Anaheim Hills. And they have the gospel presentation on them. So we're literally putting a gospel presentation on every door in Anaheim Hills. Every Anaheim Hills zip code, right? And, you know, I know somebody are saying, well, why about my community? Well, we'll get there. You know, you've got to start somewhere, amen? amen? You know? And, but think about just what that could do. What would happen now if we would take serious the prayer for every one of those houses? Now you don't even have to wonder, well, which houses? All of them. you got all the zip codes, you know, all the Anaheim zip codes. You just pray for those zip codes. You can go on city maps. You can find out addresses. You can walk them down streets. You can drive around praying, God, I'm praying every house I know in this neighborhood that runs all the way down here, you know. And it's so powerful because, you know, one of the, one of the, the things that um, um, John Wimber said that God had showed him was that there was going to be a revival that would come up through this canyon, right? You remember that? You remember that? You remember that? You guys were there. You heard him say it. Hey, you know what? I want to be at the epicenter of that revival. I want us to be the prayer warriors that bring in that harvest. I want to see the move of God. You know, the one enduring prayer I've had ever since I was first saved was this prayer. God, I want to be a part of a great revival, a great move of God before I die. I don't have to get any credit for it. I don't have to be, I don't have to be the, the key spokesman in it, God. I just want to be a part of a movement that's so great that it shakes the community and shakes the world. That's my prayer. That's, that is my enduring prayer. You say, what's the one thing you want to see God do? I want to see God do that. I want to see God do that. And I want to be there when it happens. I don't believe that God raised us up without purpose. I don't believe God has just showered us with with his blessings and his miracles for nothing. I don't believe that we've, you know, you're here tonight, that people are in Kansas City. I don't believe it's accident that God has brought a guy like Alex or a guy like Jared. I don't believe any of those are, I don't believe you're an accident here. I believe that God has, is assembling the troops for the last run before the return of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to be on the very doorstep of that with you, locking arms, seeing us usher in this great move of God, this latter rain move of God for the kingdom of God. Amen? You know, amen? Yeah, let's give him glory for that. Amen? You know, I'm so excited about, you know, Corey uh, Stark. You remember Corey came and spoke to us, and um, uh, Tammy said that the, the, prayer, uh, the team that we've sent out there, he's just so honored our church. There's about 80 there. And listen to this. There's about 15 from Egypt. So Tammy got to share Alex's information. As they go back to Egypt, they'll connect with Alex. Now, you think that's accidental? Okay. But he said, Corey has been so gracious. He's bragged about our church. He said, I've traveled all over the world, setting up houses of prayer, and I've never been in one like Influence Church. You know, he didn't have to say that. You know, he felt that. And then he texts me today, and, and he's texting me. He said, I can't wait to get back out there and help you get this set up. We'll lay a good foundation. We'll get it rolling. And Tammy says, we've got, I mean, the team we've got out there, they're fired up. They are fired up for God, and, and it's exciting to see what's doing. But, you know, we're going to see some great things. But we're going to see them because of what we're reading about here. 
because we're going to engage in this kind of stuff. Let's, uh, let's go a little bit further into this. Um, go to the bottom of page 45. I love this. I've got it underlined like crazy. God promises, it's under categorical promises to answer. God promises to answer prayer cover um, such a broad spectrum as to constitute a veritable carte blanche bearing the authority of his own signature. It is though that God handed us the scepter and begged us to use it within the constraints of his will. Here are some examples, page 46. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy might be made full. It says of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know what the joy set before him is? Answering your prayers. That's what it says right here. When your prayers are answered, when you see me do things in your life that your joy might be full, well, I endured the cross. Why? Because I wanted to see you move kingdoms. Think about that. That's the joy set before him. The joy set before him is, is not simply saved people. No, it's saved people who do, who carry out this, this authority and this power on planet earth in the name of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that just kind of make you want to jump and shout and go, wow, God loves me so much and he trusts me. He trusts me with the keys to the kingdom. He trusts you. And you probably in your mind, you're doing the same thing I'm doing. Why would he trust me? I don't know. I don't know. If I'm God, I wouldn't. Seriously, right? Because, you know, we, we evaluate everything on a different thing. God says, no, 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 I, I like the risk. My money is on them. I'm betting on you to do what I'm giving you the power to do. And I just wonder, as I look around the world and see the good things that happen and see the move of God, I just wonder who's behind that really in their, on their knees. Somebody's doing it. Somebody's in, involved in it. He says here in that next new paragraph, the first new paragraph on page 46, I call these categorical promises, meaning they are unqualified or unconditional. No requirements are attached which constitute a hedge on God's part. Find a loophole in those, in those statements. He didn't put a loophole in there. It's kind of like saying to your son, hey, you know, here's my bank account and here's the keys to my car, you know, and just uh, do what you think's best. Good Lord, we'd never do that, right? But the father did. The father did. Your father. Your daddy, Abba. He did that. I mean, I want you just to, I want you to close your eyes for a minute. I want to give you a picture here, okay? Just close your eyes. And here's the picture. Um, I want you to picture yourself as a little child, okay? When you got that picture, just say, got it. Okay. Now, I want you to picture that Jesus is seated in a large chair. And I want you just to walk over to Jesus and crawl up in his lap.
He strokes your hair. He puts his arms around you and he braces you. And he whispers something in your ear. Let your mind run. What's he whispering in your ear right now? kind of whispered in my ear, I love you, son. I just love you, son. And he squeezes me tight right there. And then just imagine he says something like this to you. Son or daughter, he says, everything I have is yours. You're heir to the kingdom. Heirs of God. Join ears of Jesus. Now you're young right now, and you may not understand this, but as you grow, I want you to run my kingdom for me. And you're going to run it on your knees. You're going to run it through prayer. You're going to make some big decisions about what you pray and how much time you spend, but every one of them will be important. I want you to always feel like you can crawl back up in my lap. Even when you get big. And you can ask me what you will. And I'm going to do that. Because I love you, my son, my daughter. Now as you leave, I'm going to give you a little token that will help you remember. I'm going to put my spirit in your heart. And wherever you go, you're going to feel me pounding away in your heart. You're going to be aware of me wherever you go. When you get fearful, you're just going to call on that spirit inside. It's, it's what I give you. So don't be afraid to ask. Be bold. Be powerful. Because one day, You're not going to sit on my lap in this chair. You're going to sit with me on my throne. Because that's my promise. To him who overcomes will I grant to sit with me on my throne. And I will make you kings and priests of the Most High God. Now you run along. And don't you forget that you're a daughter, a king, of the king of kings. I hope that that process helped put it in perspective. I hope it had some emotional pull to you. Um, If you look back on page 46... I love this last, uh, this last statement here. He uh, begins with asking in the name of Jesus. It's about a little bit more than halfway down. Asking in the name of Jesus is something that any fully devoted believer can normally do. God is dealing honorably with us. So again, the responsibility for unanswered prayer must fall upon us. The scheme of prayer, so far as God is concerned, is watertight. His part is already done. While his promise to answer is always circumscribed by his will, 
This is no sense as a limitation on his part. Any truly yielded child of God wants God's will. In other words, there is no fine print in God's prayer contract. You know, Billy Graham said something that I, I just, it sticks in my head. He, he said, when the spine of one man is stiffened, he, spi- he stiffens the spine of a hundred other men. I want your spine to be stiffened for the kingdom tonight. For the authority you have in prayer. God offers his scepter under the last paragraph there. To redeemed humanity is therefore a real offer. It is an offer in good faith. Though the plan of prayer actually invites redeemed man into full partnership with him in making divine decisions, but in implementing those decisions in the affairs of mankind. Independently in his own will, God makes decisions governing the affairs of the earth. The responsibility and authority for the enforcement and administration of those decisions, he has placed on the, soul, the shoulders of the church. Uh, Doug Mahaffey told me that um, Matthew Crouch told him, that Paul Crouch told him of TBN, that next to the Bible, this is the only book that he really felt like was valuable in what he did with TBN in expansion. So much so that he actually brought Paul Bilheimer onto staff at TBN. And this book is actually published. There is a published published version of it by TBN. Because, you know, Paul wasn't a pastor. He was a businessman. And he, he learned in this book, the Bible, and in this book, the principle of how this kingdom's supposed to run. Now, just to put it in perspective, let me just give you a little perspective of how, how I really believe God honored the faith, the work, the brilliance of, that, of, of TBN, uh, of Paul. Um, right now, TBN has more satellites in the air than CBS, NBC, CNN, Fox, and all of them combined. They have almost a billion dollars worth of satellites in the air right this minute. They have no debt. They have no debt. I think about that. Every guy that was on that team uh, that worked for Jared... Every single one of them were saved through TBN Africa. Now think about that. And Paul traced it back to this book. He took serious what he read in here, didn't he? Now I'm not saying you're going to have a billion dollars worth of satellites in the air. I'm saying that you could be the prayer behind the great move of God. You very well could be. I'd like to know in in eternity one day that it was here this night that every one of us made a move in the kingdom that was so powerful that heaven shook because we said, by golly, we've played church long enough. We've done these little dainty prayers long enough. It's time for some bold, gutsy, 
you know, powerful people that take up the scepter of the kingdom and march forward in the name of Jesus Christ under the banner of his love and the banner of his grace, and they see God do the impossible on a regular basis, there's nothing that's going to get in the way. Nothing going to get in the way anymore. We're done with that. I want you to really be praying. We, uh, we're making a, you can see it out there if you want to see it on break. There's a 14-foot cross. It's actually more like 18 feet. Um, but there's a cross out there, and we have actually drilled a hole out front in the front where we have those four bollards, you know, where we put the Christmas tree. We have drilled a hole. We're putting a metal sleeve in there, concreting it in, and we're going to slip that cross in there, that 14-foot cross in there. We've got big railroad ties uh, or nails that we're going to drive in there. And then at the top, we have, thank you, Odette, we have uh, a sign made. You know how it says King of the Jews in the Bible? Well, we changed that a little bit, king and lord of the earth kind of a thing. Is we kind of went with that theme, you know, not just king of the Jews. We want everybody to know he's the king. He is the Lord, right? And we have it in English, and then we have it in Persian, and then we have it in Arabic. Because that is the language of our community. That is the language of our community. We live right here in a huge Iranian population that speak either Farsi or Arabic or both. And then English. And you know, if you'll pray, think about it. Everybody's going to drive by that, that giant cross. Milt said, how long do you think it'll take the association to have us take it down? I said, you know, I don't know. Let's leave it up there. They'll send a letter out. It takes them two weeks to get a letter out. We've, done, we've violated association before, so we know how long it takes. It takes them two weeks to get a letter out. And then it takes me a week to respond you know, and say, what's wrong with it? Can you give me a little bit more information? And, and, then, and then they'll send me a little bit more information. I said, okay, well, we'll uh, can, can we have another month to get it down? And they'll say, and then they'll, so we can, we can easily milk that thing for another three months. And then, then when they'll not forget it, we'll put it back in there. Amen? Amen. Because it is the cross that is a power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It is, it is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And, you know, if you look, I mean, there's a reason why Mormons don't put a cross on their place. Because they, they believe it was a tragedy and a mistake. We believe it was a divine purpose of God. And that's why Paul said, you know, far be it from me that I should boast anything except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you want me to boast? I can't boast about anything but the cross. That's all I got. That's all I got. And it is, it is the great uniter. If you think about it, here's man, here's God, and when you, when you add something, you put a plus symbol in between it. Cross is not only that, it's the plus symbol between God and man, and it equals redeem, redemption. So here's the cross. You put the cross. That's why Jesus said, if my cross be, if, my, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Lifted up how? Lifted up on the cross. You get me up on the cross, I'll draw men into myself. You know? I'll draw men into myself. All right, let's keep going here. Page 47. Um, independently of his own will, God makes decisions governing the affairs of earth. The responsibility, the authority for the enforcement, administration of those decisions, he's placed on our shoulders. And then he goes into this talk about the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. It takes us back to what is it, Isaiah 22, where... where um, the keeper of, of, of David's safe and his kingdom stuff, he says, you have the keys to the king, the keys of David. 
And guess what? Where does that show back up? In the revelation. And then Jesus says, not only that, but I got the keys of what? Life and death. And who do you give them to? You. You. You know, one of the weirdest scriptures is those whom you forgive, I will forgive. And those who you don't forgive, I don't forgive. Catholic Church picked up on that pretty quick and said, that's good stuff. Now, they got it a little bit wrong, but at least they were bold enough to grab it. Amen? I mean, think about that. I don't even know what that means in its implication, but it's pretty heavy, is it not? It's pretty powerful. I hope you guys are going to get fired up on this stuff. This is, this is good stuff, right? Amen? How about this one here? Um, Luke chapter 10. If you're in Arkansas, you read this totally different. Behold, I give you up, I, I give you unto you the power over the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you, right? And, and so, behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Hey, God doesn't want us bringing a bunch of snakes in the church and see if we can not get bit. If you go back and look at the context in the book of Psalms on it, that's demonic spirits. God doesn't care if you're getting, you know, oh, yeah, we, snake didn't get me. Who cares? While the snake, while you survived the snake bite, the demon killed you. He robbed your family. He stole your business. He, he destroyed your life and your, your emotional sense and your prayer life and everything else. You know, I love it. People look in the book of Job and they go, oh, yeah, there's a dinosaur. And there are no dinosaurs in the book of Job. Leviathan is Satan. It says he is the father of all the sons of pride. And on earth there is no equal. Does that really sound like a dinosaur? Seriously. That's just what Satan wants us to do. Diminish the power of demonic influence in our world so we think we're subject to him instead of an authority over him. Amen? Amen? God deputizes his church. Um, this, is a, this is a good little section here. Um, hold on, I've got to go on here. Um, I get ahead of the script. Um, how about this? As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Okay, so the Father says, hey, you're going to earth, but you're going to be powerless, Jesus. They're going to pick you up, kill you. They're going to take, you know, it's going to be bad. Have you ever noticed that Jesus, nobody could catch him until he was ready to be caught? It says they went to take him, but he passed through their midst. I don't know what, how that worked. I don't know whether he just, he was slippery and they couldn't grab him, whether he got invisible, what was going on there, but he passed through their midst. No man takes my life from me. Jesus said, you can't take my life. I give it freely. I think he was not only saying that it's in, the, it's in the plan of God how this thing is going to work, but it's also in the timing. You can marshal all the armies of God against me you want, but I want you to know in the end no man takes my life. When I get ready, I will give it freely. Okay? He had power and authority. So God sent him down there. He says, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you authority. You're going to exercise it. You're going to, you know, when you get ready to walk on water, you can walk on water. You get ready to raise the dead, you're going to raise the dead. I'm giving you that. Now watch this. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. How about this? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
All power and all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now you go in that power. That's the Great Commission. How much power? I'm just afraid they're not going to listen to my message. Don't worry about that. Give them the message. You let the, let the results take care of themselves. Let, let God take care of it. I liked, uh, there was a preacher years ago named R.G. Lee. And he said, uh, defend, a, defend a lion or defend God I just, or defend a lion. People say, oh, you've got to defend God. He said, I just soon defend a lion. Let him loose. Let the lion loose. He will take care of the situation. We had a joke back in uh, college. They said they let a, a manning lion loose in one of the men's dorms, and he starved to death. But anyway, um, <laughs> all right, let's go on. Got to get here. Uh, let's go to page uh, 48. Um, now, look at this. This is really good stuff, guys. Okay? God's, it's a prayer privilege, the, bank, uh, the badge of rank. Okay? Now, drop down there. God's eternal purpose and creation of the universe and the human race was to obtain an eternal companion for his son. Brides get ready for the wedding. Right? I mean, they do everything. They shop. They get their nails done. You know, they, they do whatever they got to do. to get, Whatever goes on in that, that process. Right? And he says, that's what we do. In God's eternal purpose, the church, as the eternal companion, is to occupy the highest position in the universe short of the Godhead itself. Us. You may not feel like much on planet Earth, but in eternity, you are reigning with Christ. You are the eternal companion of the King. And this is all getting ready for the wedding. We're getting ready for the wedding, amen? All right. As the bride of the eternal son, she is to share with him the eternal, the universal sovereignty. Uh, and then he quotes there from, from Corinthians 6. He says, don't you know that we Christians are going to judge and govern the world? Don't you realize that we Christians will, will judge and reward the very angels in heaven? Uh, top of page 49. I got to hurry here. You guys are listening really slow tonight. Um. How about this? Uh, Revelation 2, 26. He says, and he says that he that overcome and keeps my works uh, unto the end, to him will I give the power or the authority over the nations. That's one thing we, we, we saw you know, in the life of Joseph where he calls himself a father to Egypt, a father to Pharaoh, where Abraham was called to be a father to the nations, plural, not just the head of one nation, Israel, but a father to all the nations. The promises that are found in the Abrahamic covenant are passed on to us. That's why when you see in Revelation 2, he's saying you will be an overcomer. You will have authority over the nations. Do you know there's going to be a judgment of the nations? Not just judgment individuals. You go to, to Matthew's gospel, you go 24, 25, those are key chapters. But it says that he gathers all the nations there in that Jezreel Valley. And he separates the nations as he separates the sheep from the goats. 
Some nations will not go into the millennium. Who's going to be a part of that judgment? You are. You are, the church, are going to be a part because it says we're going, to, we're going to be over the nations. There's nations that aren't coming in because nations as a whole have stood against my anointed. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, you ought to write that down. It says the nations, what do they do? They assemble themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. And they say, let us break his bands asunder. In other words, we don't like the restrictions of God. Let us break his bands asunder. And he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God is laughing at the nations. And then it ends by saying, kiss the son, basically, lest he destroy you. Psalm 2 is all about the return of Christ and the eternal kingdom. In fact, when you really understand how to read the book of Psalms, you'll understand it's a book primarily for uh, the millennium and not for now. In fact, most of the time you read it, it doesn't even make sense. It just sounds nice. It's kind of like the Beatitudes. Those are kingdom principles. Those don't really work here very well. Because if you're looking for the meek to inherit the earth, they're not getting it. They're not getting a shot at it. What did I just read? That 90% of the entire wealth in the world is owned by less than 100 people? 90% of all the wealth in the hands of 100 people. I remember the early days, you know, when Bill Gates, they, they said he's worth more than Spain now. But guess what? We're going to judge the nations. God will take care of the individuals, and we'll judge the nations, and we'll judge the angels. In those nations that don't go into the kingdom, there will be individuals who go into the kingdom, but nations won't go into the kingdom. Nations will disappear. Some nations will stay. Will they have new names? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they'll have the old names. They'll go, what happened to that nation? Bam, it's gone. Then it goes on. Look at, uh, uh, it says, uh, uh, this Revelation 5, and they sang a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the scroll to open the seal for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and made us unto our God a kingdom of priests. And we shall reign. You ought to underline that word in your Bible. We shall reign. Doesn't say we shall serve. It doesn't say we shall exist. Get along. We shall reign. We shall reign. You see, there's there's kingdom built into us because we are made in the image of the king. And nothing, no other creature on earth was made in the image of the king. Prayers on the job training. Prayers on the job training. By delegating his authority to the church to use prayer for administrating his decisions and enforcing his will upon the earth, God placed her in an apprenticeship to reign in eternity with Christ. I got to get as much of this in me as I can because I got a job to do. 
You know, we go to college and we go to tech schools and we do all these things. We have internships here on planet Earth because we try to learn a skill or a trade or whatever. Are we as serious about an eternal job where, guess what? You don't get to retire. And there's something wrong with a theology that says death will accomplish what God couldn't do on planet Earth in you. Well, don't you think when we died, let's just everything would be all, everybody would get a clean slate and everybody would be on the same level? Absolutely not. That is not biblical. How about when, uh, uh, when the mother came to, uh, to Jesus and said, would you just grant me one thing that my sons will sit on your right and on your left hand? I love that woman. Reminds me of my mom, you know. Just, can they just do that? And, and all the other guys were mad. All the other disciples were mad when they heard it. If you read the script, they were mad. You know why? Because their moms weren't there. Jesus' response is amazing. What does he say? These are not mine to give, but they shall be given. Wow. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah we, got, we got some chairs. But I can't tell you who's going to get them yet. Because we're not done with this game. There's a whole lot more people. There's some people at Influence Church that might get to sit there. That'd be the greatest joy of my life as I get there and I go, look, dang it, look it over there. There's Stan and Robert. How did they get there? You know, praise God, right? Stan will be up there cooling, trying to cool hell. Man, he said, Jesus, I got a plan. No, it's okay. We're going to let them burn. All right. Okay, let's go in here a little bit. Okay, look at, uh, just drop down right from where I read, to enable her. No, so she must learn the art of spiritual warfare, of overcoming evil forces uh, in preparation for the, her assumption of the throne following the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now watch this. This is key. Star next to this one. To enable her to learn the techniques of overcoming, God devised the scheme of prayer. We look at mystery with the book of Job, and we shouldn't. Because Job is a great story about God who wanted to take Job to the next level. And the only way he could do it was send Satan to attack him. He knew he would succeed. He said, my money's on Job. Satan, my money's on Job. You can, you can do whatever you want, just don't kill him. Do you ever think that that's exactly what he does in the demonic world to you? My money's on you. I'm going to go ahead and uh, Satan, yeah, you can send a demon over there. You can disrupt his life a little bit. But my money's on him. He's going to come out. He's going to be an overcomer in that situation. And you see, when you get in warfare, don't you think you learn something a little bit better? You learn in war what you cannot learn in boot camp. So God puts us in the middle of this spiritual climate of this war, and he sends demonic, and they're attacking us. God, why? Why do you, Jesus, would you just get those demons off me? No, no, no. I, I, they're, they're getting you ready. It's like getting shot at at D-Day. I'm not going to make it. Yeah, you're going to make it because this is different than the earthly battle. This is a spiritual battle, and my money's on you, and I'm going to make sure you don't die. I'm just going to make you feel like you're going to die. And you're going to come out of that, and you're going to, I know how. Disciples come, 70 come back, and they say, what do they say? We saw, you know, we, we saw uh, people healed. We saw demons run. We saw, they said, yeah, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Big deal. That's what you're supposed to do, disciples. When they couldn't cast the demon out of the boy, Matthew 17, 20, 21, 
He said, how come, you know, he said, how long do I got to be with you, faithless generation? In other words, you guys are supposed to do this job. Do I have to stay around here and keep doing this job? I'm tired of my job. I gave you the job. Now I'm going to give you the job and I'm not going to interfere. Now go do the job. Amen? Or oh my. <laughs> One of my favorite preachers, you may have heard it, is S.M. Lockridge. He was an African-American pastor. He actually pastored in San Diego for years, and I heard him when I was in college. And uh, I got to where I could, I could preach like three of his sermons in his intonations. I mean, I just, I ate it up. But he had this one called The Lordship of Christ. Is it okay if I do this? All right. Can I do it in S.M. Lockridge style? Okay. He said, uh, he says, his lordship is based on his ownership. All through the ages, men been trying to destroy him. They try to destroy him by a field of empire, but he broke it. They try to destroy him by water, but he walked on it. They try to destroy him by fire, but he refused to burn. They try to destroy him by ignoring and rejecting him, but before long you heard a still small voice that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Oh, his lordship is based on his ownership. He did not have to write his signature in the sunset, for he owns it. He did not have to put a patent on the songs the birds sing, for he owns it. He did not have to put a lawn remark on the cattle on a thousand hills, for he owns it. Oh, I'm telling you, his lordship is based on his ownership. He's like honey to the bee. He's like wheat to the horse. Can you understand he is Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let me finish this up here and we'll take a break. I know you're, you're ready for a break, all right? Okay, how about top of page 50? It's a continuation here. Whatsoever you bind, whatsoever you bind on earth, whatsoever you loose on earth, if two of you shall agree on earth, this delegation of authority and administration responsibility for earthly affairs constitutes the highest honor and elevates her to the highest rank of created beings. No angel or archangel will ever achieve this rank. Because not angels nor redeemed humanity alone is qualified by the original creation in the image and the likeness of God to constitute the bride and share in the bridegroom's throne. Um, I've told you this vision I had, and um, some of you have heard it. And not all of you have, but I, I want to say it again because it's very powerful. Um, and it was, really, it was a really interesting thing because... Um, I was praying, and, and, I, and, I, and I had this picture of a vault in heaven, this vault in heaven. And it was, a, it was a vault with two big doors like this. And it was really interesting because I had that vision on, on a Saturday. And on Sunday, uh, many of you know Keith Hogan. Keith came up to me, and he said, hey, I got this this morning when I was praying. And he, he gave me the diagram. I have the diagram, and it's a diagram, and it's, it's two big doors. And he said, and there's... And he's, there was all these like riches, just like bags of money or something outside of it. And he said, God gave me this. I don't know if it means anything to you. And I said, well, yeah, let me tell you what happened. So, so I had this vision that these two doors were open. And I was trying to understand this binding and loosing because I've never really understood it. But I've always quoted it. I bind it, you know. I don't know what that means, right? Have you ever done that in Scripture? I bind it. Yeah, I don't know if it's bound or not. I really didn't. I'm just telling you where I was, okay, lightweight guy in the kingdom. 
So I'm praying and I get this vision and all of a sudden it was, it's this picture was I walk into this vault and as I walk in, there's just all these shelves right here. And on the shelves, there was only, there was all the notebooks were blank. They were just blank notebooks, black notebooks, but one of them had letters on it. One of them had a message on it. And the message on this one was loan for Influence Church. And it was during that 21-day fast where we had no money and we had no loan. And I walked in there and, and there was a messenger, there was a heavenly messenger standing there. And I said, what is this? He said, this is where you bind with these binders. Now, this was my vision. These are the binders. And I said, how do I bind? He says, take it off the shelf. So I took the one that said the loan, I pulled it off the shelf, and that was all I needed and all I wanted, so I proceeded to lead. When I proceeded to leave, the heavenly messenger put his hand on my chest like that and said, you cannot leave with it. He takes it from me, and instantly on the end of it, it said, it just, the letters changed to the word dispatched. Dispatched. He said, it will be dispatched by the, by the timing of the Lord, and you're free to go. And if you remember that story, we had no loan eight days before we were going to close on this building, an all-cash deal, of which we did not tell our real estate guy. He would have been going crazy. And there were seven other people that had, actually had money who had bid on this. And so we're eight days out, and I got the loan application, the loan application when we were at Jesus Culture. I got it at the hotel, I think. And I'm filling this thing out. And I tell the guy that we're getting this loan from, I said, you know, you know we close on the 29th. And this is like the 22nd, right, or something, whatever the, date, whatever the days were. He goes, yeah, I know. He's like so calm. And I said, well, you know, like how do you work like loan to value? Is this going to be okay? I'm asking, the, I'm asking earthly questions. He says, no, we don't do anything by loan to value. That's not even, we're not even concerned about that. He said, how much do you want? And I said, well, we want 2.5. He said, okay. We did not close on the 29th. We closed on the 27th. We closed, would that be right, 29, 28, 20, we, on the 26th. We closed on the 26th of July on Friday before. And when we got the loan, they gave us an extra $200,000. They gave us more than we asked. He said, we thought you needed more money. And all of a sudden, I realized that that vision I had was tied not just to me, because we were in a 21-day fast. It was tied to us. And had that guy not backed out of that loan, that personal loan he was going to give us, we never would have experienced the miracle of God. We never would have started a 21-day fast, probably. We, I never would have seen the vision of the, of the binding and loosing. And I never would have learned that that principle is how God wants, at least that's the revelation to me. And if, if it works for you, go for it. But that's what God was doing to me to teach me that principle of binding and loosing. And I have re-entered into, thro- into that vault many times since then. That's my vision. Hopefully it's your vision too. Top of page 51. If she will not pray, God will not act because this would abort the purpose to bring his church to her full potential. If she will not pray, the church, God will not act because this would abort the, his purpose to bring his church to her full potential. If you go down in that next new paragraph, and it's, it's, it's uh, about the fourth line down, it says, but he will not override his church. 
His eternal purpose to prepare her eternal companion for entering into full partnership with her Lord is the governing process of the universe. Bottom of page 52. No angel was ever invited to share in the high privilege. No archangel was ever invited into the throne room of the universe. Only redeemed humanity and many of us are too busy watching television, following sports, hunting and fishing, bathing and boating, engaging in farming or business. We are too busy with the cares and the pleasures of this life trying to keep up with the trends in the new cars, the new homes, the new appliances, the new furniture that we do not have time to pray. Someone described a modern American. I know you've read this, but I just sometimes it sounds different when somebody else reads it. A modern American as a person who drives a, a bank financed car over to a bond financed highway on credit card gas to open a charge account at a department store so that he can fill his savings loan financed home with an installment purchased furniture. May this not only be a description of the modern professing Christians, may it not also be the reason why Christians have so little time to pray. And he ends with this, and I sought for a man among them. And I found none. Okay, one last little picture and then we'll break. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine a scene. It's a scene that took place in France with a general by the name of Napoleon. Napoleon has gathered all of his, uh, his best lieutenants and colonels and generals around him. They have been unstoppable in conquering Europe. As they're looking at the map, they're trying to decide where to go next. And one of his generals says, China. We will invade China. By the way, this is all true story, what I'm telling you, okay? We will invade China. Napoleon responds back, no, there lies a sleeping giant. Let it sleep. If China ever harnesses their manpower, they will be unstoppable on the fields of battle. Now I'm going to take you into fantasy here. I'm going to take you into what if. Now imagine a scene similar to that. Instead of Napoleon and his generals, now it's Satan and all of his legions of leaders within that demonic kingdom. And they're not standing around a map of Europe. Now they're standing around a map of the church. And one of the demons says, as they're looking for their plan, they said, what should we do? How should we invade? And one of the demons says, let's go into the church and disrupt it and bring havoc in and bring evil in on it. And Satan wisely says, as Napoleon did, leave it alone. There lies a sleeping giant. If the church ever harnesses her power on the fields of battle, she will be totally unstoppable. Let's kick dirt in the enemy's face. Let's be warriors for the king. Amen. Let's take a break.